1: If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. slash Vision. app. Vision. The story.
0: I was just living in this place of totally irrational fear dominated and controlled my life. And that, you know, night after night after night and after, I can't tell you the exact period, wild hallucinations, um, evil of evil around me, which was all sorts of visions that play on a sleep-deprived mind, led me to the point where one day I just, I, I knew exactly where I would drive the car off a cliff.
1: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax, welcome to The Story. Well, at one point in Gary Blackford's life, he sank into the blackness of depression and mental illness, to the point of attempting suicide. He's written about his experiences in his books, The Foglifter and Winning Between the Ears. Gary will share his story with us today with the aim of providing insights into what someone suffering from depression and mental illness can go through. Also, he'll provide hope as he tells about his journey from darkness to light. Gary Blackford is chatting with Eric Scadabo. Gary Blackford, welcome to the program.
0: G'day, Eric.
2: Nice to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And you're joining us from Gladstone in Queensland?
0: Yes, I am. Beautiful central Queensland.
2: And that's not where your story started. Where did it all begin?
0: Where did it all begin? Oh, way back when I was born. I was actually born in a little coastal town called Maxwell in mm-hmm. uh, New South Wales. But I grew up in, in Sydney, northwestern suburbs, mm-hmm. in, a, in a suburb called Carlingford.
2: Okay, and tell us the general impressions of your childhood.
0: That's an interesting one, Eric. Uh, my mum and dad are still alive, still love each other. Um, they're well into their 80s. So uh, uh-huh. no no brokenness in that sense of the family. Mm-hmm. Not a Christ-centered upbringing. We did, I think I went to Sunday school twice as a child and probably misbehaved because mum never took me back. Anyway, probably. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, but it, it, I was a very sick child, so I was actually... Um, I was one of those kids that when you got a bit older and you had these special birthdays and your mum said, I didn't think you'd make it, she was actually genuine. Yeah, at one stage, I was a very bad asthmatic, so I was in and out of hospitals Mm -hmm. for the first five years of my life. I spent a lot of time in hospital. I had skin condition problems and I was also quite dyslexic, so education was a really challenging area for me. Uh, actually, Mom and Dad would say that they used to lie awake at night listening to me trying to breathe and oh, wow. uh, knowing that at any moment they could have another hospital run. Dad told me about this many years later. He said at one stage they spent a whole third of his income. He, was a, he had a milk run. He was in business. A mm-hmm. whole third of his income just on medical stuff to keep me alive. Oh, wow. There you go. I was a sick kid.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's going on physically, but emotionally, how is that impacting you?
0: Well, I think it just flows one from the other, to be honest. I, I think, I mean, not being able to do what other kids were able to do mm-hmm. was, was quite difficult. But I think more so the fact that I was, because I was quite dyslexic. So so education was a, a real challenge. I had a very intelligent, I uh, still do, very intelligent older brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I ended up having to go to a different school than them uh, because... They were like the brainiacs and I was the one that couldn't read. Um, so there was a whole lot of that stuff going on and, mm-hmm. and pretty much I got the idea that I was the the kid who was behind the door when the brains were handed out. I don't know if you've heard that expression before.
2: No, I haven't. Um, but
0: I, got, I sort of got that idea when I was very young and that had, I think, a profound influence in my life, especially when I grew into those teenage uh, years uh, when your body starts going crazy and... Um, and yeah, pretty much saw myself as as a mistake, um, not really oh, wow. worthy of anything. Yeah, you know, really, there was not much that you could look at me and go like he's he's not really much use at anything. So wow. um, yeah, I mean, it also sparked a whole other, a whole heap of other behaviours where I tried to prove that I was. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and. Um, When I learned to drive, I I made sure I went out and bought the sports car and tried to look like I'd made it. Like There was this whole perception, just faking it, faking it all the way through. So So, Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty messed up young fella, actually.
2: So kind of uh, overcompensating, trying to be the big guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of years sort of looking back going, "Mm, why did I actually do that? And Mm. I think it was trying to prove that I was of of value, really. Mm. Yeah.
2: Now, would you say that all of these things that you're talking about contributed to the mental illness that later manifested itself?
0: Oh, without doubt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. without doubt. Yeah, it profoundly impacted my uh, mental state as I grew, especially into the later teens, and so into that, you know, I'm trying to prove myself to be something, but really I'm broken inside, so I'm faking Mm -hmm. uh, what I really believe, you know, the core belief, you know, like, because we'll always... If our core belief doesn't change of who we really believe we are deep down, then we always compensate with our behaviours. So my core belief was that I was of no worth or very little worth, mm-hmm. that I was broken. Yeah. Therefore, as much as I tried to fake looking the part, um, deep down, I knew I was faking. You know, I, I, I remember mm-hmm. just a, a, probably a couple of days before I actually tried to drive a, a car off the cliff, the sports car. Um, I had someone say, wow, you've really made it in life. And, um, and I was just faking, trying to look the part. Yeah, so I was pretty messed up. Like I was, Yeah, if you looked at me at a party, you would have gone, wow, Gary's a bit of an extrovert, but really I've always been an introvert. Hmm. So I was just faking one way yeah. so no one would see what I really thought of who I was. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and so anyway, yeah. So you mentioned that at one point you tried to drive a car off a cliff. What yeah, led up to that <laughs> and what happened?
0: I've got a, a sports car at that time, which mm-hmm. I was in debt ridiculous uh, for it, trying to you know put an image. I was yeah. still trying to work. Um, I was living in this sort of these two lives, these two spaces. so mm-hmm. so one space where where I was working and driving like a looking this part, but the other space was leaving notes in offices saying that I'm on drugs because I'm crying out for help, you know. And I mm. wasn't on drugs, um, but but each night going and drinking myself stupid. Like the only way I could make my mind stop was basically drinking it till it numbed it to sleep. Mm. And uh, so I'd, I'd sort of be have these two lives going. Yeah. Uh, one was like trying to look like the success, and this other one was you know, a, a, a drunken 18-year-old, 19-year-old asleep at the end of a bar or on a train or somewhere uh, just just because he couldn't make his mind stop. And I think that was the thing. The mind started to race.
2: Which was part of the mental illness?
0: Oh, without doubt. yes. Mm-hmm. Although a schizophrenia was not diagnosed, I had a friend tell me that this mindset of, like, running through a passageway, through a hallway, Mm -hmm. and just running, running, running. The hallway doesn't stop, but you're opening every door as you go along, Mm. was pretty much described mentally how I was. I was uh, suffering from sleep deprivation. I couldn't – I don't know if you've ever seen movies of of people in mental institutions – sitting in the corner of a steel frame bed, you know, just rocking back mm-hmm. and forth yep. and just yep. sort of, well, well, that was me. So I, mm. would, I would end up night after night and, and, and I couldn't sleep. I had these incredible recurring, I feared sleep because I had these recurring, terrorising nightmares. Um, one in particular, I would have, uh, I started to develop, uh, paranoia to the point where I would check everything in my room. I would check behind things, and somehow I thought that someone was after me. It was it was not true. I was just living in this place of you know, I it was totally irrational fear mm-hmm. dominated and controlled my life. And that after you know night after night after night and after I, I can't tell you the exact period. Wild hallucinations, um, uh, evil, sense of evil around me, which was all sorts of visions that play on a, on a sleep-deprived mind, led me to the point where, where one day I just, I, I knew exactly where I would uh, drive the car off a cliff and uh, I determined the time to do it and I didn't write a note because I, I, I wanted my parents to just think I was a, 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 it was a car accident hmm. going too fast. Um, what was fascinating, and this is the thing, on that day, I hadn't been drinking. Hmm. I never drank when I drove. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. It's just something I, I just never did. And that was probably Dad's sort of important stuff like that. So I was, I was stone cold sober. As this car launched towards this cliff, um, this, these words can't tell you if they're audible, can't tell you really where they came from. Um, I had no Christ-centered background. I didn't mm. understand all that sort of stuff. It yep. wasn't really part of my uh, my growing up. Um, but these words, that there's something more, that was pretty much it. There's something more just seemed to come into that car. I, I, I ended up stopping the car within a very, very short distance of the edge of that cliff on an angle and didn't know what to do from there. So, wow, um, it was a pivotal moment because although I had no idea what that something more was, and of mm-hmm. course I wasn't drinking on that day, so, so I was actually sober enough to hear it, um, that was like a, a pivotal moment. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't, you know, I'd, I'd like to, as a Christ-centered person now, I'd love to say, well, at that moment I got out of the car, I knelt on my knees and prayed a prayer and everything mm-hmm. was fine, but yeah. that's, not, that's not at all how it yeah. happened but it was enough to stop me, actually, in that moment.
1: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Gary Blackford, who is the author of the books The Foglifter and Winning Between the Ears, which are largely about his journey through depression and mental illness. As we just heard, Gary stopped his car just before it was about to go over a cliff. Next... We'll find out more about what was going on in his mind at the time and about how the fog finally lifts in his life. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Gary Blackford, who is the author of the books The Foglifter and Winning Between the Ears, which are largely about his journey through depression and mental illness. As we heard just before the break, Gary stopped his car just before he was about to drive it over a cliff. Now we're going to find out what happened next in his life.
2: So I'm trying to understand, correct me if I'm wrong here, that somehow in your schizophrenic type state, you thought the Mm -hmm. answer to stop the suffering, to stop your mind from continuously racing was to end it all. Is that kind of your mindset going into the car? Yeah, it was. And then those words come to your mind, there's something more. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the, the beginning of you saying, well, hey, maybe there is something more. Is that right?
0: Yes. Within a very short space of time, I was, um, I'd had a mental and a physical breakdown completely. Dad had fished me out of a car. I'd smashed my car up. Um, there's a whole story attached to my, you know, my, my physical body and mentally and physically shutting down hmm. um, when I drove alone a car and stopped outside my parents' house. And, and dad, you know, I've got one of these images in my mind mm-hmm. as a very broken young man of my dad appearing at the window of this car and, and I couldn't even move. I was literally, it was like a, I describe it like a a bearing. So Mm -hmm. if you've got a bearing that, that is under too much strain for too long, um, it'll eventually crack. Well, I had that happen Mm -hmm. and that started a whole spiraling events of, um, hospitals, psychiatrists, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, Thankfully, thankfully, I got an absolutely wonderful psychiatrist who helped me in an incredible way. Yeah, and didn't just throw me on drugs and hmm. pat me on the head. He was actually terrific. Yeah.
2: So that was going to be my next question. How did it finally start to turn around?
0: Um, I had a couple of experiences within the process. Uh, psychiatrists, who saw my i went this was this was my state when I started going to the psychiatrist mm-hmm. was that I would sit in his room and I was so angry um, and I was angry at me mm-hmm. but but I was angry at him because he didn't have a couch
2: huh.
0: uh, because that wasn't wasn't that how I was meant to do it. <laughs> I was meant to lie on a couch and he was meant to sit next to me, and he was meant to pull out the pad and go. So, Gary, tell me, <laughs> how did this first begin? And, and it's a long time ago now, but I remember it like I was just such a... Hmm. I was so broken and so angry. I, I don't kind of remember how much he was being paid, but he would sit there in silence. And eventually, through that silence, I actually broke down. Really? And it was... It was just, oh, yeah. Just and him that, being
2: quiet made you break down? Yeah. How, how, did, how did the silence... <laughs> I
0: don't know. He just He just... He would just let me be in that space, and mm. uh, and I don't I don't think it took a hugely long time, uh, a couple of appointments or something. But eventually, the anger subsided, and I just broke down. I mm. just broke. Just.
2: So, did you eventually feel comfortable just sharing with him everything yeah, that was going on? Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and he and he suggested a, a location shift, which was good. So he didn't. He um, I ended up moving from Sydney to, which was a break from. The environments I was in, which was terrific, and mm. I moved up onto the north coast, which eventually was uh, was where you know the connection came with uh, with people who went to a church who I liked, and then I went to that church, and then
2: yeah, yeah, let's find out how did Christ eventually come into the picture.
0: I met someone who was who went to this particular church on in Coffs Harbour, and mm-hmm. um, and they were really nice people, and and then one day I'm out riding my motorbike which was the only form of transport i had i was broke i was living at the backpackers i was still a very broken human this church building had a blue cross on the roof um mm-hmm. that you could see from the highway mm-hmm. so i sort of knew where it was and um, one day i went it was a midweek went out there riding about riding my bike and and i don't really remember the ride at all i, I sometimes think i wasn't even the one in control of the bike uh, but I ended up at the steps of that church building on that Wednesday night, and they were hmm. having a meeting. And um, I didn't even know churches had meetings on Wednesday, so they were. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, get off the get off the bike, and and the, the you know, the little sausage dog that lived on the property it was just a bit out of town. So I was barking <laughs> like crazy. I walked up the stairs, I stuck my head in the door, and everyone in the place was turning around and looking at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't even know why I stayed. I think it was just God drawing me in a powerful way and uh, went in sort of on the back corner, uh, ready to go. If these people had two heads and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> I was like, I'm out, I'm out of here. Yeah. And, um, and eventually a very good friend of mine, uh, Phil Bramble, who was a few years younger than me, uh, their meeting finished. I have no idea what they were talking about. And he came up and said good day and I had a cup of tea at his parents' house that night and that began a journey of connecting with uh, a group of people that profoundly changed my life. And then I went to a youth camp um, through that church about a, a probably a month later uh, and it was at that youth camp in Tullabudra in Queensland um, that I connected my life to Christ.
2: Mm. Do you think... You kind of subconsciously were searching for that something more,
0: uh, isn't everyone?
2: Wow, well, that's that's a good point. Yeah, uh,
0: I, th- I think we all are. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I think. Look, I, I talk to a lot of people who are going through. You know, so I guess it's what I do. Mm. I, I walked in a very dark place for probably probably about six years, mm. and um, and I guess it's my passion. It's why I've written the books to try and help people um, through those places mm-hmm. and to see see the hope and the, and the possibilities of life. Yeah, and, and I hope that, you know, sometimes I'll talk about a blackness, uh, an all-consuming blackness. You know, people talk about mm-hmm. darkness, and darkness is there, but um, blackness is actually worse. Um, well, you named yeah. your
2: book The Foglifter, so that's another yeah. metaphor for it as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, it mm-hmm. is. So, And sometimes that, that fog is so dense, and so uh, you just can't see your next step in front of you, mm-hmm. and it can be all-consuming. So, uh, I try and um, help people to see the way out of that, if I can.
2: Um, yeah, well, let's get but, back to your story. Yeah. Did the fog start to lift when you became a Christian?
0: Yes. Um, the day I gave my life to Christ was a profoundly impactful day that, that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it was the beginning of a journey. Like, on that day, I knew um, when I prayed a prayer and there's a whole backstory of running out on a, of a meeting four times and going back in and all this sort of stuff and, um, and a physical pain that I had that was just running through my body, I was sort of uh, on that night just so broken and then, the, then praying a simple prayer and this pain going and this joy coming and this, uh, I knew in a moment that all the mess of my past, like all the all the brokenness had been forgiven mm-hmm. uh, I knew in that moment that I had a, like a fresh beginning, mm-hmm. a new start in things, and um, the funny thing, actually, the other thing that I knew on that moment was that I would be a preacher, uh, although oh, really? I actually knew nothing, <laughs> so I actually you know i didn't have, had no idea, had no training, had no nothing didn 't really couldn 't even read the Bible, mm-hmm. like someone gave me when I became a christian someone Who uh, actually, my friend Phil's father was a Gideon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he gave me a King James version of the Bible. And I literally could not read it like, literally, could not read the thing. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, I had a friend come alongside me and get me another version that was uh, easier to read and a study Bible. And I Uh could start to work through that process of learning um, and getting God's word into me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I came to Christ, I came as. See, this is one thing we we sometimes miss mm-hmm. is is this whole idea of you. Well, you pray a prayer and it's all fixed. Yeah, um, it's never been that case. Yeah. Uh, God's all about renewing your mind and renewing your spirit. Yes, He puts a new spirit in you. Um, that your your sin, like your mistakes and your mess. Uh, and the forgiveness required for those, yes, that's instant. That's a moment. That's mm-hmm. and I knew that. Like, yeah. but but all my my broken self image, my my um, uh, shattered thoughts of who I was. I, I would say that even though I understood that Christ died for me, I still saw myself as worthless. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a journey that took, oh, probably. That probably took a, another ten years before I think I really got it. Before mm-hmm. I really, really understood that my value was not based in the inability to do things, mm-hmm. um, but my value was based in the value that Christ placed on me. And um, when I when I got it, it changed everything. <laughs> yeah,
2: so you're <laughs> so I was
0: just a little bit slow, Eric. Eh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we all are at times, uh, but you actually found your identity in Christ. What, what does that phrase mean?
0: Oh, everything to me. Hmm. If you can, if, if we can get, I guess it's probably one of the things I live my life for, because if, if, I, if we can get our identity based in who we are in Christ, and this is a process. See, so, so your identity—you can't just sort of go, "Oh, well, I'm changing my identity." Mm-hmm. It all begins with your thoughts, and then it goes into your layered memories, and then it goes your core belief system, mm-hmm. and then your identity flows out of that core belief system. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's a process. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why you know the renewing the mind is a process. It's, mm-hmm. It begins in in capturing thoughts and accepting what God says over us, not what my broken past says mm-hmm. over me. It's taking what God speaks you know, that, I, that I'm precious rather than I'm a, I'm a failure or I'm a broken or my identity's based in this other stuff. And it's that over a period of time, you know, we, we could call that actually discipleship, which mm-hmm. is really a renewing of the way you think anyway. And it's that over time that neurologically mm-hmm. uh, relays our mind, mm-hmm. and uh, which renews our mind, if we want to use the scriptural version of mm-hmm. that. Yep. And that, that becomes our core belief, and it's from that that identity flows, and that's what took time to change. And that had lots of different breakthroughs and things that happened in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so,
2: so for you, a lot of things happened when you became a Christian. You obviously yeah. had your sins forgiven, but yep. also you mentioned that you had a physical pain stop, so you were yep. healed, physically healed, Yep. and then yep. you began the process of spiritually and emotionally healing.
0: Yeah, yeah. All of that
2: happened yeah. to you, is that right?
0: Yeah, the thoughts and the creating new habits and doing all this sort of stuff, and and um, th- these are the things that take time. You know, this these are things that, that are a process. These are... Uh, and they're the things that... that um, you know, I would have loved it. I actually would have loved it where if, if I just prayed a prayer and it fixed my, my self image. Mm-hmm. I would have that would have just been fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um just download a new one would be great, but it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. But it's the and that's actually good because it's the it's Eric, it's the journey mm-hmm. and the experiences that you go through to find who you are in Christ.
1: Well, unfortunately we're gonna have to stop it right there as we've run out of time for today. But we invite you to join us again next time for part two of our conversation with Gary Blackford, who will share more about finding who we are in Christ. And significantly, Gary will share about a profound experience he had that really drove home the point to him of how loved and valued he is by God. The incident totally changed his view of himself, and really strengthened his identity as a priceless child of God. It's all coming up next time. Meanwhile, if you want to learn more about Gary and his books, you can go to his website, GaryBlackford.com. That's GaryBlackford.com. Finally, before we end today, I want to leave you with these verses from the Bible about our identity as believers. The Bible says, To all who did receive Christ, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Also, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's good news for all of us that we are loved and adopted into God's family the moment we believe. We can proudly identify ourselves as priceless children of God. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Gary Blackford's life journey. Until next time, when we'll hear part two, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
0: It was the Wednesday night before I was due to head out and she had this I guess seizure to end all seizures, it was, oh, it was horrific. It was just, and I'm this young preacher about to head out the next day to go and preach on healing. And she must have been, oh, probably seven or eight, I think, around that time. And as a parent who would just do anything for your child, you're
1: you're just shattered. At one point in Gary Blackford's life, he sank into the blackness of depression and mental illness. Years after he became a Christian, he began to share his story with the aim of helping others suffering from depression and mental illness. Gary will tell more about his journey from darkness to light next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.